Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. You want to talk about writing for one-shots and campaigns? Going old school on this one, huh? Uh, any school that I'm in is old. <laughs> Cue music. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for tonight's topic, Matt Bonhoff asks about pilot episodes. How does the writing in a pilot episode differ from that in an episode of an established series? How can that difference be leveraged to improve one-shots, enticing standalone stories, and campaigns as established settings and themes? Yeah, so Matt wants to know the difference when you write your one shot, which in this case can also be considered the first session of a campaign, uh-huh. uh, versus when you're writing for a session of an established campaign. Yes. Uh, and Matt's analogy is a good one. The pilot episode versus an established episode. In, in most cases, if you think about um, the pilots for shows that you really, really like, um, the pilot episodes don't feel like the other episodes in the series. And and there's a reason for this, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, which not to give away the episode, but is kind of the crux of how we're going to answer Matt's question for tonight. Spoilers. So Phil, tell me about pilot episodes. Right. So everything I'm going to talk about here is not based on any kind of um, literary understanding of um, TV writing or anything like that. It just happens that I watched a ton of TV as a kid. So uh, take all of this next part for what it is. My own uh, made-up crackpot uh, ideas, but whatever. It works. Um, it's good yeah. because I didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid, so I'm relying on you for this one. Okay, I got this. Trust me. I watched okay. a lot of TV as a kid. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're saved. Which is ironic because I don't watch TV now, which means like I watched all of it as a kid and I can't watch. Like I, I'm all done. <laughs> That's it. You got your quota. Yeah, it's not exactly true, but it's pretty close. (laughs) All right. Um, The pilot episode is, uh, by definition, the first episode that is aired to the public of a given TV series. I say that because sometimes there are some other hidden pilots or there are other pilots that get scrapped or whatever before they make it onto the air. But let's just go for the one. We're just going to call the pilot the one that actually makes it to the air. Yeah. So this follows the old model of TV where shows weren't actually made all at once and then released, which is a very like Hulu slash Netflix like here is the entire season. Go binge. Right. So instead, we're talking about when you would be like, we made a handful of episodes and we've released them and hopefully people like them and the studio will want to make more of them so that the writers will get to do more writing on them. Yeah, exactly. So the pilot episode, the pilot episode needed to get you hooked on the show and make you want to see more of the show. I mean, that is its goal, right? Like the goal of the pilot is to make you want to come back next week and watch the next episode. Yes. Um, But it has a huge problem because it lacks any past. So the pilot episode has like a huge challenge in that it has to achieve a few things in a short amount of time. It has to introduce the setting, introduce the characters, introduce a situation And play out some kind of story. Yeah. And if that doesn't sound like the elements of a one shot, then I don't even know what a one shot is. What? So on the other hand, though, 
if we talk about an episode in the middle of a series, um, it has the same goal, which is to make you want to watch the next episode, but they have so many more tools now to make you actually do that, which are things like ongoing arcs and character backgrounds that are being revealed or reoccurring minor characters and adversaries, right? Yeah, which um, sounds exactly like a campaign. What? Crazy. So (laughs) with that... Let's turn off the TV and head over to the game table instead, where I'm going to talk about writing one shots like pilot episodes. I'm going to talk about writing campaigns like established series. (laughs) Take it away. All right. Back up on our one shots and campaigns horse. Ah, feels good. So one shots are, like I said, very much like pilots for games, right? We don't have anything to draw on other than like the event listing that you know was in the book when you signed up for the convention hopefully you wrote a good one we've we've talked about them before or the description that you told your friends when you said hey will you come over to my house and play this game right Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is sort of the event listing and you also only have the one session to set everything up and make something happen right so let's talk about what pilots do and how we can apply that specifically to our one shots phil we all know that you were raised by a pack of wild tvs So tell me again, what does the pilot do? What does a good pilot do? Yep, yep. So a good pilot episode uh, achieves the following things. Uh, It introduces us to the characters. So uh, we know who the characters are in the series. It gives us an introduction to the setting. So we know some stuff about what's going on in the setting. It establishes a problem and it resolves a problem. Yeah, and for this particular one, because um, this is pop culture that I actually know, we're going to talk about the pilot episode of Steven Universe. So, it is just the pilot episode, so like no major spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen the pilot episode of Steven Universe by now, you should probably go watch it. So, let me just say really quickly, like one, you should just watch it. Um, Right. Two, we picked the pilot episode of Steven Universe for uh, two reasons. One, it is a pop culture reference that um, both Senda and I um, share. (laughs) Share pop culture reference. And there aren't a ton of those. Um, But two, Steven Universe is an 11-minute cartoon. uh, And it achieves everything that you need in terms of good – in terms of writing – in 11 minutes better than shows that are 22 minutes or an hour long can sometimes achieve. Like the writing on this show is so tight and Rebecca sugar does such a good job of, of utilizing story elements and like how to thread it all together that in 11 minutes you get actually a satisfying story. Yeah. It's impressive to say the least. Yep, it and is. The, it is. It is a model for what you should be looking at in terms of, of how you are writing out plots and arcs and things like that. Yeah, and 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 to be perfectly clear, it certainly doesn't end with the pilot, and they didn't drop the ball going forward, right? No, no, so, no, no. Like, watch the pilot and then keep watching it. <laughs> yep. So let's take apart this pilot episode and kind of talk about in the eleven minutes and twenty-seven seconds or something of the yeah, pilot episode what it does. Yeah. yeah, like what is it, like what does it accomplish? So right away in the intro of the uh, of the show, the intro is for those who haven't seen it. For, so first of all, it has a super catchy song, which is the song that Senda was we singing at the Are the Crystal Gems. Yep. yep. Okay, so right there, right? Right there, it's starting to establish who our characters are, right? They're the Crystal Gems. Yeah. Right? And what and and, and we find out what do they do? Uh they always save the day. <laughs> 
Right. And if you think we can't, they'll always find a way. Right. That's why the people of this world believe in Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl, and Steven. Okay, so right there, we now know all the major characters. Yeah. Of So 45 seconds into the show, I now know that this is a group called the Crystal Gems. I now know that there are four of them. I know that they save the world. And the animation part shows them um, traveling through a beachside town. Yes. Right, we see some we see some storefronts, a donut place, a few, and we see a bunch of minor characters, um, not all of which will show up in the pilot, but um, that like we'll find out who they all are um, within a handful of episodes. Okay, forty five seconds. I now have we you have now introduced the characters and setting to me. Yes, in in a, in very like you get a good sense for it. Right? Really good sense. Right. In a very magical, girly kind of way. And then also uh-huh. Steven. Yeah. Um, so then in in the next few minutes, it establishes a set of conflicts, which are the things that we are going to address during the pilot, right? So the yep. first thing that we see, literally the first thing that happens is the end of the cookie cat ice cream sandwiches, <laughs> which is a personal conflict for Steven himself, right? Because they're his favorites and there are no more of them. Um, and this... Like, that leads us nicely. Firstly, like, it establishes a specific beat of, like, normalcy and, like, the slice of lifeness that the show is, right? Yep. Then we zoom right from there into... Steven comes back from... It comes back from town, depressed that the cookie cat sandwiches are right, missing. Right, 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 right. To find the crystal gems fighting a bunch of centipedes in, the, in, in their house, right? So yeah. now we've gone from normal... To not normal. To yeah, pretty wild gems with magical weapons fighting weird little monster creatures. Like, because when we say centipedes, we don't mean like little tiny centipedes. We mean like the length of your arm with one yes. giant eyeball on the front. Clearly, yes. something weird and alien, right? Yep. Yeah. And then when that resolves, when that resolves, then we find out that the gems like stuffed Steven's freezer with all of the cookie cats. And so like, there's a moment of conflict resolution where he still has a bunch of them. And he's so happy that we discover that in that moment, we discover about him not being able to summon the weapon that he's supposed to be learning how to summon. Right. Which is the third conflict. Yeah. Does that cover everything? Okay. That sets up the conflict. So then, so then what happens is there's a series of scenes that are centered around Stephen trying to summon his weapon, right? So first he discovers that if he eats a cookie cat sandwich, his gem starts to glow. Yeah. But he can't summon the weapon. Yeah. So um, then he has like three scenes, one with each of the other crystal gems, as they try to explain to him how they summon their weapon. Yeah. Which is brilliant because now we learn a whole bunch more about each of the gems. Right, because it is very much based around each of their personalities, how they exactly. do it, right? Like, um, it, and it says a lot about them and gives them each a scene in their kind of space, right? Yep. Yeah, so really good. It's a good um, alternate set of beats, right? And it gives some um, exposition and some uh, both character and setting building. Yeah. As they both are, you know, as they kind of talk about Stephen's challenge. Then. Then. Then the mother centipedal attacks, which is like a huge centipede, like as tall as my house, with yes. like little mandibles and acid, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, 
And there's a big fight. There's a big fight. Very big fight. Yes. Okay. So at the end of that fight, the centipede's defeated. The last of the cookie cat bars are gone because Steven takes the cookie cat bars and the... um, and the, and the refrigerator, freezer. yeah. Yeah, the refrigerator. Down to the beach to fight the centipede. So the the cookie cat bars are gone. As I said, the centipede's defeated. But Steven never summons his weapon. Yeah. But he was helpful because using the uh, refrigerator in the water was helpful in destroying the centipede. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, okay. takeaways <laughs> from the pilot episode, right? Mm-hmm. Having a roundtable intro is the fastest way to introduce your characters. So in Steven Universe, that pilot episode, when we talk about those moments that they are each getting a second to basically explain to Steven how they summon their weapon, it's basically a quick spotlight around the table of um, each of those characters. So it gives them each, you know, 30 seconds to have a moment of personality, right? And they're getting introduced really quickly, which is mm-hmm. genius. Don't be subtle about the problem or problems for the adventure, right? Like the, this pilot puts the problem immediately. Like it is right after the intro, the first conflict starts. Yeah. Um, so set them up early. That way you have all of the session to work on your conflict. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. And then um, changing beats with your interaction and discovery scenes, right? So this is one of those things that works so well because Steven immediately sets us up with that conflict, like right right off the bat, immediate conflict. And then we move from conflict into these like, well, actually move directly into the next conflict, right? But then we have a moment of discovery. Which is, oh, Steven's gem is glowing and like he's supposed to have a weapon and they're all like surprised that it's glowing because it hasn't gotten that far before. Right. So we start having discovery and then we have the weapon dis- like how do you summon it discovery scenes. Right. So those are how they're, they're switching beats there. And then we go back to fighting. <laughs> yeah. Which is then the next part. Right. Have a big climactic battle to resolve your problem. Yeah. Right. You want to you want to you want to finish off your the problems that you've introduced into the game with some sort of big set piece set piece fight. Yeah. Or if it's not a fight, some sort of set piece encounter of some kind. Right. Something yes. that's a big deal. Whether it's violence or not. Yeah. And then if this is something that's going to continue, then you can leave that thread undone to be carried into the series, which Stephen, um, we left knowing that he was part of this group and that he was learning how to fight with them, but we still, he still couldn't summon his weapon, right? And that actually takes episodes. Yeah, it takes him a, like a little while to, to get to. Yep, and it's a thread that, it's an arc that gets introduced in that pilot that doesn't get resolved until later in future episodes. Yeah. Which is really good. But if you're running a standalone one-shot, like a for a convention or something, then wrap up all your threads. Uh, I mean, you say that, but I'm going to say that... Um, I love Injustice doesn't always do that. <laughs> yeah, that is the game I was going to mention. Because, because of the way that Love and Justice is specifically built to sneakily emulate a specific episode that could be in the middle of a series... It doesn't do the, quite the same thing, which is really funny to me to talk about, right? Because it is a one-shot, but I don't run it like a pilot. I run it like a mid-season episode. Yes. <laughs> so my advice to you, though, is for the satisfaction of your players, that unless your game specifically is designed to do that, tie up your yeah. loose ends. Because 
Otherwise, people leave going, oh, but it was so cool, but we never actually finished this Otherwise, thing. people are like, where's the second episode of Clank? And you're like, "Correct." well... <laughs> well, there isn't, so get over it. Right, and that's what your climactic battle's for, right? Your climactic battle is to bring to bring your conflicts to resolution. And again, it's nice you can leave one undone if you want to pursue this into a campaign. Yeah. Cool, so yeah... Tell us about campaigns. Yeah. All right. So now we're looking at writing uh, an episode for mid-series, right? Uh, Mid-series writers have it way easier than Mm -hmm. pilot writers Mm -hmm. because they literally have more of everything. Yeah. Um, They have more time. They have more time because they have more episodes, right? They can have a story that actually spans two or more episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They have more character history. So not only do you have the um, the stuff that like you've created by having a backstory for the characters themselves, um, which hopefully you've been expressing as you've been playing, but you already have the things that they've actually done in like their on-screen time as the series has progressed. They have more setting. Right, because every episode builds more and more setting into the series. So what we normally see mid-series in mid-series episodes are what? Richer characters building up of setting, multiple plot lines, and the ability to continue a plot line past one episode. Okay. So then our takeaways, if you're writing the mid-series, yep. uh, if you're writing now for mid-campaign, what are your takeaways? Um, you can draw in more of the character backgrounds and history, both past and recent, into your sessions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can continue to build on the setting, Using the setting piece, previous setting pieces you've created. I think one of my favorite examples of this is from Star Trek The Next Generation. So the doctor, Dr. Beverly Crusher, mm-hmm. occasionally commands the Enterprise. Like she takes it on as a night duty thing to like learn to be like like learn to command the starship. Okay. And in one of the episodes, she has this scientific summit where the scientist creates this thing called metaphasic shielding that's supposedly like you could go into a sun like into the corona of a sun with this shielding. Okay. Then skip many, many episodes later, the Enterprise is under attack and Dr. Crusher is on the bridge in charge. They're trying to figure out how to escape these um, aliens that are pursuing them. And she's like, oh, get the schematics for the metaphasic shielding and we'll hide in the corona of the sun. Oh, geez. Right. But it's great because they basically used two disjointed episodes about that were focus episodes about her. Yeah. They brought the setting piece back into this current episode from a previous episode, creating that line of connection from the episode that you're watching to the last time that she was like commander. Right. So um, really smart. Um, Use those past things and drag them forward into your um, into your current sessions. Yeah. And you also, because you're in campaign space, you can have multiple arcs, right? And you can have arcs of different lengths. Um, And we've talked about a lot of different types of arcs. So it could just be a story thing. It could be a plot thing. It could be a romance thing. Yay. And, you know, some of them may take a session or two. And some of them may be your overarching entire, you know, plot for your campaign. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to arcs, you can... 
you can work to resolve some arcs and let other ones continue on. Like mm-hmm. that's actually the nice part about having those different length arcs is that you can kind of put them down. You can put some down and, and just not resolve other ones uh, right. during one of these mid campaign sessions. Yeah. So as it turns out, the analogy of pilots and series episodes and one shots and campaigns is uh, pretty close. So hopefully we did a good job drawing out some of those commonalities. Uh, and much like the episode of any good series, uh, we now need to bring this one to an end. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, Senda, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Well, on Bonus Experience, Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. They are speaking about games with authority. I'm mad about it. (laughs) And basically they're awesome. Yes, they are. Say, Senda, where can people reach us on the internets? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pandas Talk Games. We are still working on that Google Plus replacement. We will let you know when we have that in place. I promise that progress is being made as unobvious as it looks. Or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they have that information, what can they do with it? Please, please, please send us your topics. Much like Matt Bonhoff did tonight, send us something you're interested in us talking about, and we will talk about it. Don't worry about what the topic is. We're pretty crafty about how to make shows out of it. Ask your questions about GMing, about game design, or even the ditch lilies. We know all the answers. Mm -hmm. What else can people do with our uh, social media information if they're so inclined? Well, you can send us your table selfies. So the next time that you are sitting down to play an awesome game with those awesome peeps, take a selfie of you and those folks and post it on the social media of our choice twitter hashtag it table selfie and we will swing by and like it because we love seeing what you're playing and we want to know if you're playing a one shot or a campaign if you like what we do here elsewhere on the misdirected mark network you can check out our patreon campaign go to patreon.com slash mmp patrons of the campaign get all sorts of goodies uh you get the bonus outtakes from this show you get the after show from misdirected mark access to our show notes invite to our awesome slack room uh the slack room for life as well as other goodies that we sometimes come up with as we sprinkle about things from uh, our publishing arm encoded designs uh we do that from time to time we also like to shout out to our patrons. Tonight, we'll give a couple quick shout outs. Uh, Jesse Edmond, the Royal Doctor. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, Sean P. Kelly. Thanks, oh, Sean. hell, both Sean both Kellys. Sean's. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> and David Walker. Thanks, David. What's the other thing people can do if they are already backing the Patreon campaign or unable to back the Patreon campaign, which is perfectly fine, that also makes us so very giddy and happy? Well, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. If you leave it somewhere that is not the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we would love to hear about it so that we can actually see it, find it, read it, because we seriously love to hear what you guys are saying. And on top of that, it really actually does help new people find the show. And also, you could like just tell people about it. You could just be like, they're cool. They're like <laughs> adorable pandas. You should probably listen to them. Say, uh, send up. Show me how you're going to frame the main conflict in your next one shot. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, hey.
Can we just uh, can we just be clear that um, when they do the live action uh, oh, version man. that they shouldn't even touch the music, right? Like right. I was very concerned that the article that we've all been seeing about it has like all the casting information does not have any information about who's doing the soundtrack. So I'm like, don't touch it. Well, right, because they shouldn't have anyone because they're just going to use the same soundtrack. Just yeah, don't. Just 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 use Yogo Kano is a goddess. Yes. Just don't touch it. <laughs> But the casting looks uh, dope. Like the looks, casting is. It looks really good. Yeah, casting looks really good so far. But yeah, if they if they cast it all and then they don't have a good, they don't have the soundtrack or something equivalent, they will. It won't be Cowboy Bebop. Right, right? they're gonna like cast it and then be like, "Well, we have an all new rock soundtrack. I'll burn really the whole like, thing." To no, the ground. yes, die, die, <laughs> die. Like you have misunderstood <laughs> everything about this series. Burn in hell. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they've they've taken the step in the right direction, right? They actually um, they've taken the right step in the right direction. They have a diverse cast. I really like their their choices. I really think that the people they picked look like the characters. Yeah, they do actually. But you know, we're all waiting to hear about the corgi. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna make that one out of CGI or something. Yeah. So. All right. So anyway, that's um uh, that that's that's that. Yeah, the song that I was actually going to sing when we started recording based on the actual topic that we're talking about was actually, we are the waveform gems, we'll always save the day, and if you think we can't, we'll always find a way, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I already did that song much better, though, which is why I'm sort of doing it half-acidly. Half-acidly, yes. I didn't realize that was a ver- or an <laughs> adverb, but sure. <laughs> it is now. See, you know it's an adverb because it has ly. Ly at the end, yes. Yeah. I have, I have dubbed it an an adverb by yeah, adding ly to the end. Right, like as right. in lolly, lolly, lolly. Get your adverbs here. What? Oh, <laughs> time for some pops, please. <laughs> I think you did that intentionally. No, actually, I just stumbled onto it with the um with the adverb thing, but suddenly <laughs> occurs said, to me that you don't, yeah, suddenly occurs to me that you don't know what lolly 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 get your adverbs is. So Schoolhouse Rock was a series of these little cartoon shorts that were played on Saturday morning cartoons. Um, and they were all different ones. There were ones about history, science, numbers, and there was a whole bunch of them about grammar. And um the adverb one is a store lollies so lolly 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 get your adverbs here and then they basically show you by like they take a word and they stick ly like how do we make adverbs we take a word and we stick ly onto it and like it, it's i mean it's all 70s cartoon animation so it's yeah. it's unto it but okay at the end of the episode you will watch lolly lolly, lolly get your adverbs here <laughs> It's the one I always remember. It was like my favorite. Um, it's not one that's ever come up before. It's always been something else. It's right. Because the been... most popular one, the most iconic of the grammar ones, the grammar rock ones is conjunction junction. Right. That's the one that's come up before. Right. Conjunction junction is by far the most popular. I think followed by noun. Because the noun's a person, place, or thing. Like that's how I learned right. grammar when I was little. Right. Like. <laughs> 
Because I'm a paleontologist. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And there's also um, one about Roy G. Biv, um, who is all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> do you, do you want to know how you know? Do you want to know how '80s gamers know the colors of the rainbow? How? Those are the security clearances in Paranoia. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In That's Paranoia, really in, in Paranoia, you have your character has a security clearance. It starts at red. Right. And uh, as you get promoted, you move up the the chain. The and so, Biv. Yeah, yeah. Roy Biv. And then the highest level being ultraviolet is um, on the high end, which is uh, all white. And on the low end, it's infrared, which is all black. Yeah. So every uh, every 80s gamer kid knows their Roy G. The- Biv because... <laughs> right, because your orange level is, you know, your first team lead position, and then uh, your yellow level administrators, and um, uh, green level vultures, blue level uh, security. Bloop. I feel like we're gonna have to. I feel like we're gonna have to have a cultural exchange, like we're gonna have to watch this rock. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyway. We should do a show. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. good. All right, fun times. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to knock this thing out of the park? Yep. No, okay, let's not talk about baseball. I'm so annoyed with baseball right now. What? Who? Who doesn't like ninety dollar parking? I mean, I don't even know. I need to look up and see if there's another game tomorrow, or if I can actually go to work like a normal person. You really got to get the app. I yeah, I got to do something. You got to download really the Rockies app and put it on your phone so that it actually pops up alerts and is like yeah. game day, and you can I, be like working from home. Like never mind, not even trying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what you get for uh, that's what you get for your fancy uh, your fancy <laughs> office space with fancy its water and kombucha space. and stuff. Are right, you ready to do a yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do a show. All right, let's do it. Meow. Hmm. What? <laughs> oh, sorry. You I were supposed to meow. <laughs> I was, but I realized I didn't change the episode number on the <laughs> on the title of the notes, and then I was like, "Wait, oh. that's wrong." Okay, Is it, it threw me off. Well, no? now it's right. I just fixed it. I thought it was one fifty two. Oh, okay. It said one fifty one. I didn't even notice. Is that like our third third anniversary? It'd be it. Well, it'd be messed up. Okay, <laughs> meow again. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to meow. Although I'm like I'm like slightly. Bloop. Meow. Meow. Bloop. Hi, future Senda. Oh, hmm. Oh, okay. You have to do the line that I forgot to color. Sorry. Okay. I think in one of those, you talked about it as a game, and the other one, you talked about it as TV. Oh, well, carry on. No, just keep going. I don't want to keep you up late in this cold basement. It'll be fine. I'm so sorry, both Sean's, that you are never thanked singly. That's right. The Sean Kellys. Thank you very much. The Sean Kellys. Thank you. I used to have a list, but now I'm just like, uh. (laughs) Is that what happened? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. The list was hard to keep up. And then I was like, well, I could just go to the web (laughs) page. But then I scroll back far enough, and if I've clicked like three or four pages, and I'm like, man, then no one's going to remember whether we did this topic or not. It's fine. Bloop. I mean, it was warm enough. Like, I'm wearing my lightest sweatshirt. Like, I went out for a walk today in my lightest sweatshirt. Um, so it was like almost 50. Um, I didn't even wear tights. I didn't even wear a hood. 
walking. Today. I thought you were like going to tell me you didn't wear tights either, but that would have been weird. I have only worn tights once. You've worn tights? I was in second grade, and uh, <laughs> it was the Christmas play. Uh, it all and, makes sense um, now. I wanted to be the I wanted to be one of the Nutcrackers, the soldiers. Yeah. But I got singled out to be the lead, and I was uh, the tiptoe elf. So I had to wear green tights <laughs> and like shoes with the little curls and stuff. Uh-huh. I uh, was not as thrilled with it as you would think <laughs> I would be. I wanted to be like the tiptoe elf, but like wear green jeans. But they were like, no, no. wear the tights and shorts. And so. <laughs> yeah, tights are kind of weird. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> I like tights from the other side. <laughs> I really like my fleece ones. Bloop. This may shock many people listening to this podcast. In high school, I wore nearly exclusively pants. <laughs> I mean, the, your femme transformation was a like later in life. Yes, it kind of was. And actually... <laughs> I continued to wear pants with reasonable regularity until probably the, like the last, I don't know, three or four years. Bloop. What am I going to do with this? We should just stop recording now. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> no, delete, I don't even delete, know. delete. No one can see the smirk. What? <laughs> he has a smirk. Bloop. Say goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> And...